Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Karen Gibb. Karen, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you for having me, Amy. Well, we were joined together by or introduced by Tony Mulverhill. So here's a little shout out to Tony. Thank you so much. Tony actually featured in episode 100 as one of my guests from the audience to share he likes to focus on why and he's also sort of sent us or pulled us together so here we are talking about mind marvels <laughs> my creation my baby <laughs> well let's talk about what your creation is and how it manifested sure so I was always a very anxious child it was just something that I always um, had dealt with I was very hyperactive I still can be a little bit hyper sometimes, um, but always very enthusiastic with the, with the hyperness. And I, when I was younger, it was always kind of, you know, I had to be quiet or, you know, I was too hyper. I had to calm down. I didn't ever understand what it meant to calm down. You know, adults and other people would always tell me to be calm or, you know, to sit there quietly. And I couldn't really understand why. <laughs> So as I got older, I went into teaching, really, really enjoyed teaching and working with young people, but I just felt I wanted to do something more to help with the emotional side of young people. I decided around the age of 27, so at this point, my anxiety and my hyperactivity had turned into real stress in my life, so I was constantly had that feeling in my stomach, just that pit that ball, that knot in my stomach. And I decided to attend a NHS stress control class. So this was a class that was set up free of charge um, round about where I live in near Glasgow. And it was all about how to manage your stress, your worries, your anxieties in life. And that you couldn't actually control circumstances. You could only control your feelings or your behaviour towards those circumstances. I realised for so long that I had had all these sort of anxieties and worries about things I couldn't actually control and that were out with my control. So once I completed the course, it was a six week course, just of lectures, just going to sit in, in a lecture hall pre-COVID <laughs> and listening to somebody talking and once I'd finished I thought I really liked that and they touched a little bit on mindfulness and that's when I decided to basically enter the world of mindfulness because I truly believe that from the moment I sort of went into that world of working out um, how to sort of feel rational with, with my feelings and emotions that I immediately wanted to help other people, Amy. It was such a strong catalyst to get me to where I am today. So how does somebody who sort of had a hard time being in the classroom find themselves teaching in a classroom? 
It's a good point. I guess I, I looked at the teachers that I had and thought I could do that better. So I think it was a silent, a, a nice way of thinking I could actually really help children. So I did and I enjoyed the teaching element, but I just felt I could do more. And I wasn't sure what my more or what my why essentially was at that point. Once I realised after doing the mindfulness, I came back into school as a teacher and we had a lady come and do some staff training for us just on team building and a little bit of mindfulness again. And I started talking to her after the event and she told me that she had been a teacher and I had never realised until that point that teachers could actually go out into the world and not be teachers. So that's kind of where the ball was rolling for me when I realised that actually I could, you know, I could be a teacher, but I could also have a different career path if I wanted. And that's where I sort of came up with the creation of Mind Marvels. But I wasn't really sure how I was going to implement it into the classroom or into children's lives at that point. So you're now supporting young people's emotional well-being and really helping those that you felt had a a void in your own life. So, you know, where you felt there was a lack, you're now a provider. Yes, that's really important. (laughs) But yes, I didn't want to. I've had experience of counselling before and various therapies. But I didn't want to necessarily go down that route. I tried to, I went on a couple of counselling courses, but I just felt the whole time I was sitting there listening um, you know, to people and their issues, I just wanted to help. I'm such a helper. I, I, I really strive to problem solve and to help people with their issues. So I found myself wanting to do something with Mind Marvels that could make a direct impact almost immediately on young people and their families and even teachers and staff as well. So I kind of worked on calming strategies and practical tools to help young people and I based my research on the NHS Five Steps to Mental Wellbeing and they are learn, move, connect, mindful and be kind so every session that I teach whether it's one-to-one or families or in big classroom classrooms of of children every every session has an each of those elements in it and what's really important for me is especially knowing how much um, of a go-getter I was as a child you know always wanted I could never sit still Um, I realised that that's a great way to engage young people because it's not half an hour of mindfulness or half an hour of counselling. It's different strategies and children and young people can pull apart those strategies and choose the ones that are relevant or that focus best with them in their own lives. So going back to that moment when you were on that sort of NHS stress control course and it was in Scotland... Can you remember the the moment when you realised that you didn't have to control circumstances, but you had the control of your own feelings, beliefs and responses? I remember it was about the third lecture in and I'd I'd went along with a bit of scepticism, if I'm honest. I wasn't sure about, you know, stress control. Why do I need stress control, you know? (laughs) Because I was watching everyone else in my life just going along, you know, and they were feeling stressed or they were feeling anxious. 
but I am because I'm such a problem solver I really wanted to just get to the bottom of why I was feeling like this and I remember about the third session in she was talking about a circumstance where um, it felt relevant to me at that point I was in a really highly stressful teaching job and I wasn't necessarily getting on with one of my colleagues and I remember the day before I went to the stress control class I thought if that if that teacher comes in and speaks to me unkindly I'm going to feel so mad I'm going to be you know so upset and then I thought if she doesn't speak to me I'm still going to be mad and upset <laughs> which is so when you think about that now that makes that's not logical that makes no sense that's just you saying you're going to be angry and stressed regardless of the circumstance so when I went to that third lecture and they were talking about um, basically you can't control circumstances, you can only control your feelings, your thoughts, your reactions, your behaviours, it was literally a light bulb moment for me. And I know that sounds cheesy, <laughs> um, but for me, it was such a weight lifted off my shoulders because I realised that actually I'd been trying to resolve or control circumstances in my own life when really you can't control anyone else's, nor should you want to <laughs> control anyone else's behaviours or thoughts or, or, or how they react to situations. But if you can look at other people and what's going on and how they react to you with a little bit of kindness or just a little bit of acknowledgement, a, a little bit of acknowledgement that they're having a hard time, then actually your response is naturally more soft, softer because you don't have that pent-up aggression that you might have had previously. So you're working with children and you're working with sort of a, a range of ages, sort of between three and all the way up to 18 and maybe even sort of a little bit older sometimes. Uh, how do your sessions differ? It's a great point. I'm a secondary school teacher by trade, so I've worked mostly with older child, older young people um, during my teaching career, but I also had a background in nurseries. My mother owned a children's nursery, and I also worked in youth work before teaching as well. So I had a wide variety of ages that I worked with already. What I was finding was that young people in particular, nurseries were really keen to have have me in because they wanted to have that start for young people from that really early age you know if a young person aged three years old can regulate themselves with their breathing then imagine how they will react as they get older with those skills learned so what I do is I if it's younger children I'll use short snappier activities I'll use stories I'll use music drama you know really really come alive in the sessions for the older children, I'm very aware that you don't want to go in all singing, all dancing, because they're probably going to run a mile if they're teenagers and they're feeling that peer pressure. So for teenagers, I tend to have a little kind of, if it's a group, we have like a little safe. Um, we, we make a, a set of, we call it Mind Marvel's Manners. So it's just when they're in that group together, there's certain things that they, as a group, maybe won't like respect from their peers, the, the chance to have their voice listened to. And it becomes a really informal way of running the Mind Marble sessions where we'll chat for a little bit. I'll maybe bring out some conversation pointers. Because what you'll find with young people is if you say, how's your day at school? Fine. You know, you don't get that engagement. If I say to a young person, 
tell me three good things that happened today or tell me one thing that made you feel uneasy then that they have they have to talk you know they they have they open up much easier so I'd say with the older ones it's a lot more flexible and if we do spend the majority of the sessions just talking that's also fine because you're opening that trust and you're you're creating that bond between them and yourself. Now something you mentioned earlier is that you're using sort of music and drama and what I sort of notice is this sort of self-expression and the ability to be creative is really important and a lot of education now is focused on the, the non-creative subjects especially sort of as you get older through school there is definitely less of a just less value attributed to those subjects as opposed to the more traditional subjects how could we change this? How can we move towards more creativity and expression? That's a fantastic question, Amy, because you're totally right. With budget cuts, it seems to be music, drama, art are the, are the fluffy subjects. You know, they're the ones to go and actually they open so much in terms of expression and emotion, you know, in ways that, you know, stereotypical subjects, you know, such as maths, you know, may not. I think every subject has its importance there's no doubt about that when I was at school we didn't have drama it was just cut from the curriculum which was really really sad because that probably would have served me quite well especially now <laughs> but I think to keep these subjects alive we have to have that mutual understanding that they're all equal it's not just that we need these certain subjects to be you know to get into university etc so it has to come from that mindset and it has to start with education, you know, from the top right down. So head teachers, etc., have to believe that as well. But what I would love for creativity in the classrooms is that every day when children come in, they maybe have 15 minutes of mindfulness. Or in Scotland, we have a daily mile. I don't know if you guys have the daily mile in England. So we basically just walk around the playground um, up every day for a mile. So somebody basically works out how many times you need to walk around. And it's just just a, another way of just getting that energy, getting children out. You know, if, if you're out walking with your peers, you're going to be engaging, you're going to be talking, you're going to maybe be discussing issues. So again, it's just opening that conversation up to young people. And again, it's a bonding experience for teachers and young people. You're not sitting in that that traditional classroom having to you know sit quietly and have your your pen out and writing away you're actually seeing children in a different light so I think for creativity we definitely have to just have that more embedded in the curriculum and not cut corners I totally appreciate the budget's being slashed though that this is much easier said than done but I think it has to come from you know, if we look at Scandinavian countries, children are playing, you know, they're not even going to school until at least seven years old. And I think we have to look at how successful that is for those young people and why we're not replicating that across here. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. And, and you work where you're introducing the sort of calming strategies, the the coaching, the mindset coaching and, and, the, and the emotional well-being. It's actually something that you could, as a parent, introduce with your children as a daily practice. I mean, you're talking about the daily, the daily mile and the daily mindfulness. And once we instill those habits into children from an early age, they won't think anything other than doing that. Exactly. And it takes all that awkwardness away because... When you try to teach, you know, 
teenagers, 14 or 16 or even 18, these things, you know, they do become self-conscious or they think, you know, by that age, we ha- we tend to have that negative mindset. We don't have the, the positivity that we do maybe have at four, five, six years old. So it's really, I totally agree, it's really important to embed this. So my advice to parents listening would be to do mindfulness yourself, because if we practice what we preach, then it's so much easier. If mum's having a hard time, she can say to her son, you know, um, mum's just going to take five deep breaths right now, you know, (laughs) and you're modelling that good behaviour and those strategies rather than perhaps when we were younger, where it was maybe, you know, be quiet, calm down, or, you know, you were shouted at. I mean, (laughs) if I'm honest, (laughs) you know, that was a strategy that teachers use and, and still use, unfortunately, rather than invest time in relationship building and connection you know, connection building as well. So I think it's just really important that we take a step back and think, how can we better ourselves to help other people? And that's where you'll get that pivotal point in people's lives when they do assess themselves and think, how can I make life easier for me, but also for my children or the children I teach or just for, you know, colleagues, friends, family? It's just once you can take yourself out the equation and see how you can sort of better your own life it just becomes it's such an eye opener (laughs) it really really is and I wish I had learned this years and years ago but what's important now is just to keep striving to keep moving forward and just to keep educating people and and being okay you know we learn from our parents we learn from our teachers we learn from people that surround us so it's not it's not unreasonable to to see why we have the behaviors that we have it's just because we've learned them from from our peers and from adults around us yeah something you said right at the beginning Karen is you said you were told to calm down and yet you didn't actually really know what that meant and it's really interesting that and as as parents or teachers you're, you're sort of giving these instructions and actually we we don't take into consideration that the children at the age that they're being given these sort of imperatives even understand what that concept means exactly and you know you know what it's like if someone tells you to calm down it's like "Hmm, I think so you know (laughs) so why do we think and this isn't a criticism because I used to say this to children as well and sometimes I do want to say it you know it's it's instinct that's been built into us you know I'm human, I make plenty of mistakes, and that's something that I used to do in teaching. You know, I would tell young people, you know, that had, you know, trauma or, you know, that had additional support needs, you know, to calm down and not give them the strategies and then wonder why it wasn't working. (laughs) It's just that it's really, really interesting when you actually sit down and think about the language and the words that we use with young people and realize that sometimes what we say doesn't actually hold much meaning or much understanding to that young person that's why I find it so important to have these strategies and and actually give the examples out to the young people so if you'd been a child that just sort of sat down and quietly worked and and sort of diligently sort of sort of approach things in in the way that the model sort of student for a teacher want you know they want them to have these children that don't talk and don't ask too many <laughs> questions and don't fidget would you be doing any of this 
it's an interesting point. I used to always want to be a lawyer because I always had plenty to see. <laughs> so I actually think I'd probably be in a really high-powered job if I was that way inclined. I was just never really interested in sitting exams <laughs> or getting top marks in, in class. It just was never really any anything to do with my agenda. Um, I was always more concerned with my social life, if I'm honest, and, and just... <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, going out and exploring different different avenues. So I think if I didn't have any of these, this sort of awareness, I probably would be in a really high-powered job, very stressed out, and probably feeling really angry at life and myself, which is quite a scary proposition, really, isn't it? To think there is many people out there that do feel like this. But what I would say is that's okay and there's always time to reflect and to look back and to also move forward as well and find things that work for you to keep you emotionally well and and essentially calm for yourself as well. I do hear that it, and I do feel that it's become almost a badge of honour for people to say that they're stressed and that they're busy and to the point that it actually gets too much and then it, it tips the balance. So when you ask someone how they're doing, they said, oh yeah, really, really busy, but a good busy or yeah, I'm stressed, but it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm doing well. And you think, how is this, so how has society got to the point that this is how we are describing our lives? Exactly. It's almost like we have to boast, don't we? We can't just say, oh, I've actually had a really easy life or an easy week this week, you know? <laughs> So it is, it's really, really interesting that we are now we are now coming to that. But do you know what was really good for me a couple of weeks ago, Amy, was I just put in a tender into the House of Commons to teach mindfulness to MPs. And I just thought, wow, I haven't heard the results yet, but I thought, wow, that's an amazing, you know, if we can start with these people in big positions of power, regardless what you think about the government, etc. You know, if, if we can start at that top end and hopefully that filters down, then what an achievement because we know, how, you know, how busy some of these people are in these big positions of power. So it's like if they can embed mindfulness, then really, you know, we all can. Um, you know, we've all got the same amount of hours in each day. It's just how we assign those hours. So for me, I get up early and I just do my mindfulness then because I know myself if I say I'll do it when I do it, you know, at five o'clock tonight, I probably won't because I'll say I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm too busy or I've got too much on or I'm too stressed. And actually, these are the things that we need to do so that we are not stressed, we're not too busy, that we delegate ourselves in the right way each day. And it's really interesting that a lot of people sort of approach any type of stress management when they've got to that point where they've had some kind of trauma or they've got complex needs. But actually, it's something that you know we all benefit from regardless of the circumstances. And, and yet it takes sort of, again, I'll go back to that sort of scenario where you get to that tipping point where then you start to look for help. Whereas actually, if you start to build it in as a daily practice, it's going to be much more useful for you. Definitely. And I always say prevention is better than cure, you know, and I would love to know. It's really hard for me to know, you know, there's so many children out there that are really benefiting from what Mind Margo is doing and how we work with young people. 
but it's hard to actually analyse, you know, how much that impact is because if that child then goes on to just have a relatively stress-free, you know, um, life, then that that can be hard to monitor. Um, so it, it it's really it's really pivotal we do this from an early age, purely for the reasons that it, you're right it becomes part of life. But also it stops that embarrassment or the feelings of shame or guilt if we do have sort of mental health lapse, if you like, further down the line. And also if we are embedding these calming strategies from a young age, it just means that we're opening that avenue for talking about things and recognising the symptoms and the signs so much quicker than maybe, you know, like I did, where I went through my entire 20s I didn't realise anxiety was that feeling in my stomach. No one had told me. I thought anxiety was, you know, you had to have a medical condition to have anxiety or you had to be diagnosed from the doctor. And when I realised actually that's what it was, it wasn't me feeling sick or a lot of the time I thought I was just unwell. I thought there was something physically wrong with me. But when I realised it was anxiety and that I could actually help myself, it was the biggest relief ever. And I think, wow, if we had known that from a young age, then it's just, it is, it's totally life-changing. And with that totally life-changing sort of epiphany, what's the mission for you? The mission for me is just to keep helping as many families and young people as I can. I'm about to launch a YouTube channel to create free content for young people and their families and for schools as well. So I just want to keep spreading that message out there and showing you know, people that actually it's okay to have these feelings, but it's what we do when we have these feelings or it's how we maybe prevent these feelings from spilling over. By, by using some simple strategies to begin with. That sounds fantastic. And with the, the five elements, going back to the, the learn, the move, connect, mindful and be kind, you, you said that some kids respond better to other ones. Is there one particular one out of those that they absolutely take on board? Mindful, yes, definitely mindful. <laughs> so for for me, um, mindful is when they get to lie down, they have relaxation time. Again, this would depend on the age group. If it was teenagers, they'd probably just sit in the chair and close their eyes. But everyone is so desperate for those couple of minutes where they can just lie and just feel totally at ease. Because I don't think we embed that enough in our lives day to day. You know, we don't close our eyes for five minutes and visualize, you know, you know, something we can hear, something we, you know, something we can smell, taste, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's about having those mindful moments and the kids just love them. For the nursery kids, they will just lie down anywhere. I mean, you know, you know, kids, you know. <laughs> They don't have those those sort of boundaries that we have as adults. They'll just drop drop down, lie there, and you know I'll I'll do a little visualization about being on a fluffy cloud or being inside a marshmallow. And honestly, Amy, you have to see it to believe it. The the little their little faces, they're just they're just so they're just feeling it. They're, they've got no. Um, issues with confidence at that age really or you know they've not really got any massive massive stresses for most of them and they're just so happy to just indulge and to be those little sponges that soak up all that information as well. (laughs) 
I love that. I thought for a moment you might have said be kind because obviously being kind is is such a, a big thing in terms of what it means and the knock-on ripple effects of being kind. So I just wondered whether that was a, a practice that the, the sort of nurseries or the schools would then take on board to practice more than the other elements. But it's interesting. Yeah, no, they, they do like that as well. The be kind, is that's the last part of the session. So for some of them, they don't want to get to that part because they've enjoyed the session so much. But with be kind, we usually have positive affirmations. So they will either say nice things about someone else in the room or we'll write down affirmations or we'll play a little affirmation game where they have to come up with different words. And it's just a really nice way of extending sort of their, their descriptions of people, but also just promoting that kindness out there. So, yeah, you're right. It is definitely one that they enjoy. But I think because maybe it's at the, at the end, <laughs> they're always a bit like, no, we don't want the session to end. Oh, I, lo I love that they don't want it to end and probably go back to their more traditional lessons afterwards and that, you know, it's it's probably a bit of a, exactly. a, bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so with with the, the teaching and the sessions and the, the, the really creative way that you're bringing mindfulness to, to these young children in, through Mind Marvels, other than obviously changing the way that, that sort of government's going to work. Who else do you want to impact? Everyone. <laughs> I know that sounds cheesy, but really it, if, we, if we can empower adults, especially teachers as well, teaching is such a stressful job. I know being a teacher myself, I've been through it all, but I think if we can educate sort of head teachers, teachers, but also if we can, you know, start with, I'm really keen to start either, you know, from the top down, but also from, you know, the bottom up as well. Because if we can kind of get them all <laughs> learning, then eventually they're going to meet in the middle. But really for me, a target um, would be, you know, people that think that mindfulness or camera strategies are not for them. That's probably the people that I would really like to engage with the most. So that might be perhaps families that are, you know, suffering or struggling, especially, you know, after or during the COVID era. Perhaps families, you know, that, you know, are maybe living in poverty or families that are disengaged from the likes of social work or education itself. And I think it Sometimes mindfulness is a really fluffy approach in the sense of, you know, it's, it could be a bit like everyone sitting cross-legged and humming. I think sometimes people have that perception that it can be a, a little bit hippy, which is absolutely fine. Um, but I think that can also put some people off as well. So I just really try to embed it in a sort of normal, simple way because I would never want to discourage someone from trying. But these are definitely the kind of families I'm looking to target. And I have worked with social work in the past just to try and just help help people. But it's got to really, the people that you want to help have to want to help themselves too. It has to be a sort of two-way street as well. So it's just about finding the people that are looking for help at this time. There'd be nothing worse than trying to sort of... Uh, 
approach people, you know, without them feeling comfortable about it, you know, and I think that time will come for everyone. It's just, I hope that I can help people sooner than later because the impact will be tremendous on their families. So how does it feel to, to know that you found your purpose sort of fairly young in life? <laughs> It feels good, but it also feels quite overwhelming because every week I have things I want to do. Um, I want to bring out a set of products for Mind Marvels that families and, and social work and schools can purchase. I want to, um, I'm going to set up my YouTube channel. You know, there's so many avenues with this that I want to explore. So whilst I feel really confident that this is something I'll be involved with for the rest of my life, I also am very aware that I want to make a difference to people's lives, but also find that work-life balance as well. Sometimes you just, you really, really enjoy your work and it doesn't even feel like a job. And I think that is so important, especially now for people to work, to have a job that doesn't necessarily feel like it's a task or something that you get bored with easily. So I just constantly strive and strive to just try and, just better the business and better myself as well. And has that feeling in your stomach gone now? <laughs> it's funny, you know, I still I still have anxiety. Anxiety isn't something that's just going to go away. Even with these strategies, I still get that feeling sometimes. But what I notice now is it goes away a lot quicker. And I used to say a no to a lot of things. I would I would never want to stand on stage, even as a teacher, even as you know, a, a confident young person, or so I thought I was at the time, I would never really want that attention on me. But the more that I say yes to things, and the more I do things that make me feel uncomfortable, actually, the more my confidence grows, you know, even even today, thinking about doing the podcast, <laughs> you know, I run through a thousand scenarios in my head, but then I do a little bit of breathing, and I feel at ease and then what will happen is once we finish talking I'll come away and I'll have a big surge of adrenaline and I'll feel brilliant <laughs> and I'll know that that was so important for me to do that definitely to just to just further me along as well as the business. Well you've been amazing today Karen it's been oh, fabulous <laughs> yeah it's been wonderful hearing about what you're doing and how you're supporting young people with their emotional well-being helping them with through the mindset coaching with calming strategies it's just phenomenal and really really great and I'm so sort of happy to be able to share your message on this platform thank you very much for having me Amy it's been a privilege and I am looking forward to listening to more of your podcast as well so keep up the good work <laughs> Thank you. I will do. How would people get in contact with you, Karen? What's the best way? Sure. So really easy. We're actually Mind Marvels on all social media. So we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, believe it or not. And also I'm Karen Gibb on LinkedIn as well. And we're also mindmarvels.co.uk. You can find all the contact information on there too. Fantastic. And how would you like to say goodbye to everyone? What's your final words? Probably a little bit cheesy, but just do one thing every day that, that scares you because the more you do these things, the better you will feel. And also, I would say a really big thing for being genuine in business is just to own up to your mistakes. I don't always get it right. There's things that I do that afterwards I reflect and think, mm, maybe could have gone a little bit better. 
But I think just being honest and genuine and being you is the best that you can be, especially during during this time in, in 2021. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.